The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to Utah Symphony, Utah Opera's Ghost Light podcast, a behind the curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Our guest today is a longtime friend of mine, the really extraordinary African-American soprano, Nicole Houston. She's joining us from her home in Katy, Texas, a suburb of Houston. Nicole shared a really stunning rendition of the Countess in Utah Opera's 2016 production of Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro and was slated to interpret the title role of Massenet's Thais, which was one of many performances nationwide that was canceled because of the global pandemic. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. It's great to have you, Nicole. I wanted to first talk to you about Thais. It seems like everybody we talk to on this podcast lately, it's about some kind of canceled production or another. And I think about Thais in this moment, especially because if you look on opera base, it's not even in the top 50 of performed operas in the U.S. People know it because of the famous violin solo, but it doesn't get done in its entirety very often. So I suspect you were looking forward to this, but what were you most excited about in performing Thais with Utah Opera back in May, had it happened? Well, there were a couple of things. Uh, one, just the excitement of being able to do Thais. Like you said, I was going to be joining my own personal sorority because it's very few sopranos that have had a chance to sing the role of Thais. Also, I was looking forward to expanding my repertoire. It was going to be something completely different that I've done because recently I've been doing a lot of early music, but also going to the opposite end of the spectrum and singing Puccini. But I had not been able to do a lot of the French romantic uh, repertoire since I started singing maybe about 20 years ago. Not a lot of people do French repertoire that much anymore, other than Carmen. So I was thoroughly excited to, you know, get my dust off my French and get a chance to sing something that I think is just absolutely gorgeous music. And then the last thing was I was going to get a chance to work with Carol again. Yay. We met, yay! We met each other in the Houston Opera Studio, and we've been friends ever since. And I also met Christopher Macbeth when I was in the Houston Opera Studio as well. So going to Utah is like old home week. It was really sad for us to have to let that go too. And partly because we just, we enjoyed having you with us so much in that not to figure out this was going to be a perfect vehicle to bring you back. So um, fingers crossed that it could happen in the future. Of course, one of the things that we're all running into in quarantine life, but it's a particularly acute thing for musicians mm -hmm. is the absence of our normal outlets. And for musicians, it's the absence of a place to perform. Yes. Uh, you, you came up with a really unique solution about three weeks into your shelter at home, didn't you? Tell us all about that. Well, I was just sitting at home and after three weeks of being in quarantine and pretty much seeing every TV show there was to be seen, <laughs> I was bored and I wanted to sing because I love to sing. And a friend of mine on Facebook had a little document that was called the 30 Day Song Challenge. And it was just a theme for every day where a person would put it on their Facebook page. And that day, their friends would say, oh, this song has the uh, color blue. I mean, it has a color in the title or has a number in the title or something like that. And I looked at it and I said, I think I can sing a song for every one of those days. And so I just grabbed a piece of paper and I started writing down songs. But I didn't want to only do opera. I wanted to do everything that I like to sing, you know, whether it was gospel or country or rap or R&B or musical theater. So I just kind of documented it down and then I sat there and I was like, I think I want to do it. And so I waited a couple of weeks. I said, I might as well start at the beginning of the month. 
And so I started at the begin at the top of the month. I think it was April, and I just went with it. And every day I woke up and I put on my purple robe. And the reason it's the purple robe song series is because I was really lazy and I didn't want to get dressed every day. So I said, <laughs> I'll wear this robe every day, and that like kind of kills all of that. <laughs> I need to get dressed, but it took off where people really enjoyed it. And I think where it hit a chord was that everyone was kind of depressed in a way of, you know, not being able to go to work or see their friends or their family members. So every morning they'd wake up and I'd be there like, hello, it's the Purple Rope Song Series. And I'd have a song and sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're serious. Um, but I just always try and keep it light as well. So that even if it is serious, it, it doesn't bring you down in that way. So I love doing it. I think you're right about how much it took off, Nicole. I'm sure that people had part of their daily morning diet. Krasinski's Some Good News and your Purple Robe series. Because <laughs> yeah. Not only is hearing you sing like medicine, you are funny. You are oh, a very funny person. So, <laughs> And I know that as you got close to the end of the 30 days, there was some chatter about people being pretty upset that it was going to be over soon. I mean, did that have, did that have an impact on you deciding to do a second round? Oh, most definitely, because whenever I do something, I'm always like, well, maybe people will like it. I never like go into it saying, this is going to be a hit. People are going to love it. But people really looked forward to it every day, and they were getting bummed out that it was coming to a close. And I kind of said, okay, I'll think about bringing it back. And then I was in quarantine with nothing to inspire me for a month besides just watching more TV and eating ice cream. And I, I looked at my husband. I was like, I need to do another series. <laughs> I was like, I need to do something with myself to keep myself entertained. And, and so that's what brought back uh, part two, which is going on now and coming to a close in a few days. No, we're going to have to go for part three. Yep. I know. <laughs> well, um, and you had to actually end up creating a YouTube channel, didn't you? You yes. got super formal. I did. I had uh, too many people who were either not on Facebook or not friends of mine who were like, we want to see this. How do we see it? So I decided to create a, um, a YouTube page. And not only that, like just recently, there was this huge success that I did with uh, Day 19 on Juneteenth. And so I had to create a formal professional page all of a sudden. It's like everything has like taken these steps where it's gotten so much bigger than just me sitting down at my husband's desk and singing yeah. a song. We're going to come back to that Juneteenth event, but I do want to talk about how it became big in a light, light way. Your mm -hmm. whole family got involved, even your non-musical husband, Stan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, my daughter has a beautiful voice, so I knew I wanted to have her in there. It, it first started with her just singing some backup on one of my songs, and then I said, you know, I can take a break because literally every day singing and doing take after take, because of course, if you've ever made a recording of something, the slightest thing will set you off and say, this isn't right. I got to do it again. So uh, she gave me a break and she sang a little bit, but then I said, you know, to be fair, we need to have the whole family involved. So I've, you know, I've dragged my husband into it and my son and, and they all have fun with it too. They, they look at me like I'm crazy. When I walk out of the room and I have a crazy wig on or something, they just look, they don't even like bat an eyelash like, oh, my mom's crazy. They're like, that's just my mom. <laughs> oh my she gosh. does sound great, your daughter. I Hearing her on the Hamilton bit that you guys did was oh, very impressive. You. Yeah, she's, thank you. she's incredible. Yeah, Carol's right. We do want to talk about um, the Juneteenth episode that you did because there's so much online testament right now and people 
responding to this very, very important moment that our country is reckoning with. And I'm curious how that came about, what it meant to you, and just what you want to tell us about that episode in particular. Well, with a lot of things with the Purple Robe, it comes to me in my sleep. Like I, I right around four or five o'clock in the morning is like where my mind starts running. And it was maybe about a week into the Purple Robe, I woke up at four in the morning and I said, I want to sing Roland Carter's Lift Every Voice to Sing with as many black opera singers as I can. And I waited until it was a decent hour and I called my friend Kenneth Overton. And I said, do you think people will do this with me? And he's like, sure. He said, you know, everybody knows it. I figured everyone knew it because I sang it in college. I sang it when I was in the choir and when I was a child. And it was one of my favorite versions. And I started a small Facebook group of just close friends. And then it expanded where, you know, people started inviting other people. Where I almost had, I had to shut it down because I had uh, Ryan McKinney, who is an opera singer who did the Houston Opera Studio as well. He's, he's become a video editor. And so he was doing this and doing this for free and out of the kindness of his heart. And there was no way I could have hundreds of singers, you know, thrust upon this poor man. So I was like, okay, well, we'll do this. And the more we, we thought about it and the more I sat there with the group of people I had, I said, you know what? I asked him, I said, do you mind if I connect this to Black Lives Matter? And every single one of them was like, oh no, go for it, totally. You know, they were all in for that. And Ryan then suggested, he's like, you know, I know you want to put pictures in there. Bill Doggett is willing to share some of his photos. Everyone was just giving of their talents, whether it was giving the photos, Ryan giving of his ability to edit, the singers being able to sing, the pianist. It was incredible how everybody wanted to step up and be a part of this. And at first it was really supposed to be on the 12th because the theme of the 12th was a song that gets me through hard times. But because it was getting so big, we decided to put a pin in it and put it out on Juneteenth. With everything that's going on in the climate right now, I felt that it was something that was needed because I think, if I remember Ryan at first was like, I feel like it should be a very serious moment. And I told him, I said, that's not the real purpose of that song. It's an uplifting song. And so I said, I think that it would be appropriate for that day there are somber moments in the song, but I just had no idea that it would register as loudly as it has. It's been an incredible experience. Once we were in the group, it was really exciting because some of the singers said, well, why don't we ask George Shirley, one of the first black men to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. And once that happened, all the young singers were just thrilled to actually be thinking of the thought of being on the same video with George Shirley. But I also reached out to my friend, Donnie Ray Albert, who I performed with in uh, Denmark. We did Falstaff. And when I called him, he was really funny. He was like, Nicole, you have asked me to be on this performance and I'm getting a microphone and headphones just for you. (laughs) And he was such a pro while other singers were like lagging behind and saying, oh, I'll get my video to you tomorrow. I'm hurrying up. I'm trying, I'm trying to get it together. Donnie Ray, I called him at nine o'clock at night. He had a video for me the next evening. It needed some tweaking. He was doing some little looking off to the side stuff. And I said, Donnie Ray, would you be able to do it again? And he said, I'm going to Atlanta. I'm going to get my grandkids. And when I get back, I'll make you a video. He traveled in one day back and forth to Atlanta and then still made me a video. I told all those young kids, I was like, that is professionalism. That's a work. That's a work. That is a work ethic. Yeah. So, but we had, uh, I reached out to Harold and Blackwell and Miss um, Grace Bumbry, and they were so thrilled and wanted to be a part. But unfortunately, they had other projects that 
during our timelines, they just didn't line up. But it was so great to have them be excited about the program too, and to be able to want to be a part of it. So it's just been great. Everybody, everybody really chipped in and stepped uh -huh. up. Have you seen the analytics? I mean, how many views would have you seen on this? On Facebook, I think it's close to 400,000 wow. since the 19th. And on my YouTube, it's like, I think 25 or 24,000. Wow. It's insane. Wow. That's really impressive. I Thank you is, is all I can say on behalf of the world. It's a <laughs> wonderful thing. You. You, you mentioned to Carol and I how nice it's been to through the project, through the Purple Row project, to get to work with singers that you haven't before. And yes, how many new relationships have you established through this incredible two months of singing? Well, the first month was me getting, I, I pulled out people who I had sang with. But this one, I was like, okay, I'm going to throw it, you know, throw a wrench in it. Sasha Cook, the mezzo-soprano, I heard her sing um, uh, Showboat in Houston a few years ago. And I was just enamored with her voice. Every, I went to every performance because my daughter was an extra in that show. And I remember listening to her and it was never wrong. Like it was like some days some singers are off. She was never off. And it was just <laughs> gorgeous every single time. But I didn't get a chance to meet her. So we had met in San Francisco when I was working there. And when I wanted to do the duet from Hansel and Gretel, she was the first person I thought of. I was like, I would love to sing with that voice. And she jumped at it. And, and I had never worked with uh, Myra Huang before. And so she said, well, why don't I bring in Myra? And I was like, great. And then the real catch was, she was like, and I'll get Ryan McKinney to do the video. That opened the door for him to do the Juneteenth. Wow. <laughs> so if we had not done that, I would not have got Ryan to do the fabulous job of editing that video. I want to throw in that, like, we've talked in past podcasts about how people are doing things they never did before. Ryan was not necessarily a video editor until no. this pandemic. Yes. He really has used this time to hone those skills. He's, I mean, he's getting so much work from it. And I, I saw, the thing that impressed me is that I had saw that Ryan had done the second act of The Marriage of Figaro with the Houston Opera Studio kids during quarantine. So they were like doing these scenes and like walking through doors and like the other per other singer would then like poke through the door. It was completely staged. It was insane. Wow. Insane. And at that point I was like, oh, I want to work with that guy. And when Sasha opened that door, I was like, I'm going to kick it all the way open. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you just released, was this today's video, Porti Miro from Coronazione di Popea? Yes. yes. That's stunning with countertenor Don Holiday. Yes. And I was so thrilled to do that with him. I've always thought he had a beautiful voice and I've been offered a, a a job to do this Baroque piece and they were saying, oh, well, who would you like? And I said, oh, I would love to work with John Holiday." And they were like, yeah, they were like, I don't know if we could afford to have both of you all on the same <laughs> show. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I, and I had a wonderful countertenor for the show, so I wasn't going to complain. But when I had this chance and I saw the date and it said two vocalists and I was like, oh, what can I sing? And I was like, well, maybe I can do Solaria. I can do that by myself. I can see Susanna and the Countess. But then I was like, nah, I'm going to sit up there. I'm going to call John Holiday. And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was just completely thrilled that he would do it with me. And then it was like a couple of days before I was going to send him a recording of me singing. I said, oh, let's do it like, you know, like a girlfriend and a boyfriend on a phone call. I said, you know, because that's how he's like, I love you. No, I love you. Because I was like, that's, you know, I, I try and think of ways to make the music good for people who are not opera aficionados, people so they can get it 
and see what it's about. Because sometimes, and I also realized during this Purple Robe song series, that classical music got more views if I added subtitles. So I was, you know, it's like little things like that. And I was like, I want people to understand that what I am singing is relatable. And it's not something that's above them and they can't understand. So now I've gotten into this thing where I want, if I sing classical music, you know, I want it to be easy for them to digest, but still be true to the art form. So. That's one of the things I love about your videos. When you do opera excerpts, you set the scene in a really cool way, which I think is important because that accessibility is something that it's, it's clear that that's a goal of yours through this series. Yeah. You know, I remember when I first started singing, I, I, I have a weird voice that can sing high and can sing low. And there were certain songs I could sing high. I could sing Glitter and Be Gay, but I could not sing The Queen of the Night. So I mixed, I confused people because they were like, well, why aren't you singing that? I was like, that's not what I do. But then I could sing lower songs and they would be like, well, this is what you are. And I'm like, no. So actually for the first time in my life, I'm able to do what I like to do and show all of the things I like. I mean, I, I rapped this time and I'm not a rapper. And that was a lot of fun. I did Lottie Dottie by Dougie Fresh. <laughs> I, was, I wanted to show people that me as a person, I can sing and do anything I really want to do. And I'm finally able to show that and have fun with it. I love singing, you know, standards and singing Broadway stuff and, you know, and having fun and being stupid and crazy. And that's just who I am. And so I get a chance to do that. And I don't feel that box of just being Nicole, the opera singer. I'm, you know, we're artists and we want to be more than that. And so uh, this, this whole quarantine is like, it's, it's opened up my box basically. Well, it all sounds great. None of this would work if you didn't have a voice as great as yours. And it no, really thank you. it's wonderful to hear you do all of this stuff. So Nicole, this has been a labor of love. Can we look forward to a Purple Road series version volume three? If I can find myself another challenge online, I will, but I will, I will do like I did last night. I got to take a month off <laughs> and then come back because it's exhausting every single day you know, making a video, singing, and then like editing it. And it's like, it's, it's wash, rinse and repeat. And it's just like, whoo, like the last one I did when I finished at the end of April, I slept the entire day on May 1st. So I, I need a, I'll probably need a little pin, put a little pin in it for a minute, but if I can find something, but I'm actually trying to think of, of something else to do that I can incorporate other singers in and maybe do only classical things or something. So I've got to, I've got to figure out what I want to do after this. You have a month to think about it. How can people find your videos on YouTube? What's your channel? Is it just under your name, Nicole Heaston? It's under Nicole Heaston, yes. Nicole, this has been really amazing. Before we let you go, we have a question that we always ask opera people because, frankly, we get some of the most amazing responses that the show has. But is there a subject, real or imagined, that you think should be made into an opera that hasn't yet? Sky's the limit. I would love to see the opera Black Panther, the Marvel movie. I think it is, it's operatic. You have that whole tragicness of Killmonger and then you got the stoic lead character. You have, I mean, there's a cast of thousands. You can cast an older matriarch. And then one, one it would give African-American singers something to do other than Borgia and Bess and Truman Easter. You know, mm -hmm. now granted, we do have Blue that has come out and we do have other operas, but something that's fantastical. I mean, heck, you know, like make it as big as the ring. Make it huge. Oh, it'd be grand. It'd be I, grand. Well, you're going to perform. I love that idea. Oh, me? Which, which role yeah. would you want? 
Oh, 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 I would want to be a Koye. I'd have to be, I'd have to be the warrior. <laughs> That's me. Love it's, it. You're right. It's got everything. It's one of the best villains in the entire MCU. Yes. We should yes. definitely I mean, try to figure out how to talk Ryan Coogler into directing this. He needs to get out of movies and start doing opera for sure. Yes. It's a, it's a great choice. That that's ranks among the best, I think. <laughs> hey, all I know is that I, I hear baritone aria coming for Killmonger right now. I, do <laughs> too. I love it. It's been such a great time to have my friend with me, but also uh, a wonderful artist to share with our audience. So thank you for joining us. Certainly. My sister was so excited. She called me right before this and she said, what are you about to do? And I said, well, I'm about to do a podcast because she lives for podcasts. So I'm going to definitely tell her about this one so she can listen to it. She just goes all in on these things. So <laughs> you will make her very happy. Uh, we, we want not only her, but everybody else, you know, Nicole, to, will do. to listen to this podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to like us, get us up the rankings so more people can find us. Until okay. next time, Nicole Heaston, thank you so much for being on the Ghostlight Podcast. Oh, certainly. Thank you for having me. Until next time, I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>